So when you're thinking about faith and you're pro- hold on one second, I need some tea. Oh my God, I was hot. Oh, oh, I just burned my mouth so bad. Welcome to the Good Courage Podcast. I'm Jay Gamlin. In this podcast, we're going to talk about performative Christianity, culture, poop, faith, and all the ways in which maybe we're getting things a little too crazy. In the end, we're going to learn a key value, which is every step is the way. But first, as we begin, let's have a little moment of gratitude. So this one's going to sound weird, but I am really thankful for anesthesia. I've had several surgeries over the last few years, and I was thinking about like how crazy it would have been to have surgery back in like the 1800s when, you know, they just kind of like went to town on you. Maybe they gave you a couple shots of whiskey and then just went to town. Man, anesthesia is, uh, it's just something to be thankful for. And I, I'm a little trigger warning. This gets a little gross, but it's kind of cool at the same time. But I had surgery in my hand recently, and they had to wake me up from anesthesia to move my hand to make sure that it was working right like they wanted it to work. And so I was actually looking at my hand and kind of the inside of my hand and watching it move and happen. But because of anesthesia, not only did I not feel it, but I was kind of like, wow, that's kind of cool. I just wanted to say, you know, thank God for anesthesia and thank God for science. And thank God that people know that anesthesia happens. And thank God for all the ways that science has helped us out in overcoming some pretty crappy things from, from sicknesses to vaccines to help. And I, you know what? We should just all be thankful that there is somebody out there trying to make our life better and more comfortable and disease-free. And maybe today is a good day to be thankful for it. So, thank you, science. And in particular, thank you, anesthesia. So I think the place to start is to ask, what is a Christian? That word is so loaded, isn't it? There's so many ideas about what a Christian is. I think it's important for us to step back from what we would define a Christian to be and to see how perhaps our understanding, our ideology has been affected by the culture in which we would receive what a Christian is. There's this uh, quote that I'm going to quote Tony Campolo, but I'm sure he's quoting somebody else. But just who I heard it was, was Tony Campolo in this video that I was, I I watched this wonderful movie uh, where Tony Campolo says something along the lines of, you know, mixing Christianity and culture is sort of like mixing ice cream and poop. You know, you're, you're not going to make the poop better. You're only going to ruin the ice cream. I love that analogy. This analogy that... That, that Christianity, uh, if we were to con- concentrate on the story of the divine, whenever it starts to mix within the culture that we have, it just sort of re- begins to reshape that story of Jesus in such a way that it, that it can actually hurt and actually, um, you know, have very detrimental effects. I mean, we can follow the story of Christianity going back 
thousand years and see the ways in which people have used the story of Jesus to, to murder, to attack, to kill, to force conversions at the point of the sword, colonialism, imperialism, slavery, um, the, the murder of, of indigenous people, manifest destiny. We, we, people have used the story of Jesus to hurt entire generations of people. Now, was it really the story of Jesus that did this? No. What I would say is that the culture wanted to do something. So they wanted power. They wanted control. They wanted to colonize. They wanted to own people. And so they used religion. They used, they found the pieces of their religion that would approve of this. And so they justified their terrible behaviors by saying that it was the story of Jesus. But it, you don't have to dig far looking into the story and how Jesus lived uh, the way that you would say, oh yes, this is something that Jesus would definitely approve of, absolutely. And so, you know, when we talk about Christianity, especially when I talk with friends who are pretty cynical about the way of Christ, it's it's always the part of Christianity for me that is the the part that's mixed with culture that I'm arguing against, you know, that you know, the Christianity who who says that, you know, uh, science is abhorred, that they, they, they use Jesus to push uh, agendas away from science and into faith. And I know they're doing this with the best of intentions and the best of heart, but, but you have to ask yourself, what is the agenda here and why are you pushing the agenda away from science? That, uh, that is, is God not able as the, as the arbiter and chief construct of the universe you would think that science would be a part of what was constructed anyway i'm getting onto a tangent but the whole idea then of of what god is and what a christian is you know we we have to dis, dismantle that just a little bit now i'm not going to do that for you here <laughs> i know that's like leading you up to the cliff and then not pushing you off i that's probably a good thing because honestly none of us are truly going to understand and the the, uh, the 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 beautiful story that is the divine will in the universe it's none of us can if we could then our god is probably way too small that if we understood god then we would probably have a god that's really just built in our own image and so there's something much more complex at work so I, all i'm asking to do is to be very critical about what you're being told a christian is and and then just be to have a mind that uh, doesn't allow that to um, to, to kind of uh, color or, or or crowd out perhaps what is the actual story of Jesus. Uh, the actual story of Jesus isn't so much about what you think; it's much more about the way. More after the short break.
favorite spiritual artists. Uh, her name is Latifa Alatis. I'm hoping I'm saying her name correctly, but the band she plays for under the moniker she plays called Page CXVI. And that's from their most recent album, which has been one of my favorite musical pieces to come out in quite a long time. Uh, it's just a band, it's just a, an album called All, and just about everything on it blows me away. So I really recommend that you check that out. So what do we mean when we say the way? I think a way to begin to redefine what we mean by Christian is to be a little critical of how the Enlightenment has affected the way that we think about Jesus. Um, Before the Enlightenment, we experienced the conversation around Jesus as much more of a mystical and mythical. We, uh, it was mysterious. We didn't understand the way of the universe. And so in those um, dark ages, I guess for lack of a better word, we, uh, we had a way of talking about Jesus that was much more mystical and mythical. Uh, we done, we, it was a very confusing thing. But with the advent of the Enlightenment, we began to trust our intellect to understand things, that, that truth became something that was mystical into something that was quantifiable and qualifiable, that we could understand truth. I mean, the whole point of the Enlightenment was we had all these questions, but uh, using science, using reason, we were able to answer many of the questions, and that seeped right into our theology. So a lot of the theology that came out of the Enlightenment was much more about teaching and listening, and it became an action of the mind, of having a correct uh, theology and thinking right. So the idea of orthodoxy was right thinking but maybe uh, we maybe this was maybe this kind of got us off the path of of what it meant to follow Jesus. That then to be a Christian meant that you had your theology down, that you understood God, that you had your Bible memorized, that 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 you uh, read the great artists, that you had a very keen mind, that you were immersed in knowledge. But the, when we look at what Jesus does and what Jesus teaches. Jesus really doesn't say, think right about me. Jesus is always saying, if you really want to know what it looks like to live a life into the ages, uh, what, what Jesus calls, what we translate as everlasting life, but really is a life about a full life, a life that is um, honest and true and, and good, um, a life into the ages. Walk the way I walk. You know, Jesus never says, worship me. Jesus always says, follow me. 
So there's something about Christianity that is not so much about the way we think, but about the way in which we live our lives, the way in which we we walk forward. I think uh, a lot of what we see in Jesus is is not uh, a, a path that has us understanding God, but showing us a path about empathy and compassion and living lives full of love in such a way that that it spills over into the people around us. If you look at most of the stories that Jesus shares in parables, there is this constant stream of empathy, which uh, is, is sort of um, the, the flavoring in the stories of Jesus. The story of the Good Samaritan uh, is, is a story about a man who was walking down the road. Um, he was beaten. This is a parable, you know, so it's not a true story, but like a historical story, but a parable. A man was beaten and left on the side of the road. And then, and, and along comes this priest, the one who's at the center of religious culture, the temple culture, the one who should know and understand the will of God. And yet this one walks on the other side and, and ignores the man who was beaten and naked on the side of the road. And then, and then it says, comes, it says judge or lawyer, but the idea is somebody who understands through and through the laws of Moses, all the rules in which they've constructed to, to walk in the way of God. And what does he do? He walks on the other side away. And then it says a Samaritan comes forward. A Samaritan is somebody who would have been way on the outside of religious culture, somebody who the, the Hebrew culture of the time would have despised. They are, they are the outsiders, the true outsiders. Now, we've heard the word good Samaritan so much that we just immediately equate good Samaritan with goodness, but it might sound more clear if it said, and then, and then along came a Muslim, and the Muslim saw the man, and, and, and the Muslim was moved to empathy. And she took the man and put, her on, put him on her, uh, on her donkey and brought the man to an inn and said, take care of this man, and anything that is owed, I will make sure you're paid. And Jesus' question is, which one understands the way of God. The question was, what is the great command? And to love your neighbor, which is Jesus saying the command is sort of like the way in which you are to understand God. Which one's understood the way? It's clearly the third, the Samaritan, the one I kind of changed to Muslim. But the idea of the person who's living the way of God isn't the one who maybe understands the law or lives fully into the temple culture, maybe the church culture, but the one who lives the way of empathy. Or if we look in this great parable that Jesus writes at the end where it says that, you know, after death people are divided like sheep and goats and on one side are sheep and one side are goats. And the measure by which they're measured isn't how well do they know God? How well do they have their Torah memorized, their scripture memorized? How often did they go to church? How often did they go to temple? But the measure was when did you see someone hungry? and give them something to eat? When did you see someone thirsty and give them something to drink? When did you see someone in prison and you visited them? When were they naked and you gave... The question isn't how good is your theology. The question is, did you live your life in the way of love, of empathy, of compassion? This, this seems to be a much bigger question than do you have your theology down? So my, my thought is to, to, to begin to um, understand what we mean by Christian is, is, is really to think about living in a way of life rather than 
having your theology and understanding, putting it in your mind. It's really about the way in which you live. I've known very, very smart, intelligent, wise people who don't seem to live a way of empathy, a way of love and compassion. Instead, they spend much of their time in judgment and anger. They spend much of their time um, harming others in the name of Jesus. It's, it's not what I would say the way of God. And I've known other people who are not very smart, not very wise, people who may not even be Christian or may not even understand God, but clearly understand the way of empathy and compassion. I, I think there's something to this about living into this. I know a lot of people who gave up on Christianity because they saw more love and compassion outside of Christian circles than within Christian circles. And I think it's because we've mixed Christianity and culture, we've turned it into an idea, and we've lost the ability to see that living the way of Jesus is a way of life that brings life, that brings love, that puts compassion, empathy, and care for the other at the center of all things. So, uh, yeah, how about another break? I think that sounds good to me. So that is Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers and their 1959 album, Blue Note 4003. I'm not, I'm not the biggest jazz fan. I do like jazz. I, I, I have a whole mix of jazz, and I, I do love jazz, but I'm not like one of those like giant jazz fan types, but I, I do like it. And it, the reason I play it here is uh, there's, it reminds me of a, a really good book for Gen Xers, uh, a book by a guy named Donald Miller, and it's called Blue Like Jazz where the central idea is that what we do in our faith is is more like jazz than it is like an orchestra, that there's something about going with the flow and, and listening to the song and going with along with the song, and, and that maybe Christianity is less like getting it right and more like just getting it in line and, and flowing with what the flow of the divine around us is. And so I, you know, I just offer it here as just another kind of little thing. Maybe you'd love it. Maybe you'd like it as much as I do. I don't know. It, it's a little dated at this point. Um, the conversation's moved on a little bit, but it's still really good book to think about how we perceive God. So if this life in which we're doing is much more about a way of being than what we're just thinking or or just having the right theology, maybe maybe it's good to let go then of what I like to call performative Christianity, where the idea of Christianity is that we have to perform, we have to get better, that there's this sort of 
um, implied we have to get better and better until we get to this very dangerous word of like being a true Christian, as if anybody has ever understood what a true Christian is. I mean, if you think about just how kind of cocky that is, that that is a bold statement to say, I am a true Christian, or so-and-so is a true Christian. I mean, it is, it is, it is a very dangerous word. So instead, if we think about it more like a way, and, and, and that we're not actually landing on some sort of destination where we finally get it all done, maybe we're really more about process, that we're always becoming Christians, we never are. One of my favorite theologians, Soren Kierkegaard, who's a Christian existentialist, uh, says something along the lines of, of um, I, I've, I've never seen a Christian because no one's been ever, ever able to do it. I mean, it's a very condensed uh, quote there. Uh, I took a break there and tried to find the quote, but I, I couldn't find it. Anyway, it just, but you know, I then got down this terrific rabbit hole of Soren Kierkegaard quotes. If you, if you really want to just get into it. Fantastic stuff there. Uh, just love them. Love them. Okay, so, you know, getting back on track, this idea then is that we're just always becoming, and we're always in the process of becoming what it is that we are called to be deep in the core of our identity, in the deep in the core of who we are, for whom that divine idea of love and compassion for the universe, where that place lands, is not something that we can simply think about, but something that we're called to do and to act. And so we're not called to do to serve our neighbor. We're called to love our neighbor. We're not called to 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 uh, do uh, do something like just study scripture. We're called to to act it out, to live it out in our lives. Um, there's something much more about the way in which we're called to live, which is much more beautiful than it is just to get ourselves sort of stuck in the idea of God rather than the way in which Jesus is calling us to be. And so I, you know, I really believe that the first thing we have to do is, is ask ourselves is what we're doing as followers of the way, which by the way, in the, in the New Testament, that is what they called themselves. They called themselves people of the way, which I think would be a great name since Christian seems to be so sort of co-opted by thousand years, 2,000 years of bad decisions. What if we called ourselves like people of the way? Now, I know that there was a cult here in Colorado, so maybe that's not a good idea out here, but maybe where you are, you can call yourselves people of the way anyway. Uh, so, the other thing that I think we have to uh, abandon then is that we're always becoming, but we never are. And so be- becoming means that we live daily, um, daily discovering what it means to live in the way, into the great story, into the great divine song that permeates the universe. And the only way by doing that is by doing it, is by acting it out. And so this idea of faith as a noun that makes you a Christian because you assent to a person Uh, a particular idea, I don't think that is the call. I think what it means to be a Christian means that you're living a way in which your life reflects the life of the Christ life, the divine life, the life of empathy and love. And then, so then, you know, when I think about that becoming, that means that some days are really great and some days aren't. Some days you're a mess and some days you aren't. 
and and you know if we put faith as sort of destination mindset as, as opposed to a way of which we walk then we really feel like we're messing it up because we never get there we're always like scrabbling up a hill it becomes this sisyphus this idea of rolling this boulder of faith uphill thinking that we're finally going to understand it when we let go of that boulder and just say every day i'm called to live and learn i think we can actually discover a new sense of peace because we're no longer trying to perform. We're no longer trying to to do something to make God happy. Instead, we're just living into the way in which the, the Christ who lives within each of us um, is calling us into a life of justice and love for all. So I think, I think that there is that sense of that identity, living out that identity, which is core. And so some days we're going to be great. Some days we aren't. Even Jesus understood this. Jesus talked about faith as people with no faith or people having all the faith. It was always little faith or seeing they had much faith. Faith wasn't like a light switch that was like off and on. It's more like a dimmer. Some days not so great and some days you feel just like on top of the world. I find that a beautiful and a healthy relationship with your faith. If we are in stuck in this performative sense of faith where like it always has to be super, then we are we're always living in between some threat of failure and and actually just living the life in which we're called to be. So, you know, I think a part of the way is to just understand that being a Christian is not about being in or out or yes or no or right or wrong dichotomy, but rather than understanding the walk of faith is really just figuring it out, of walking walking it day by day and and getting to know who you are. So in the end, I want to land on this particular idea. So the the end of the story is if if faith is more about a way in which we live rather than an ascent to ideas, if it's really about a way, I think then we have to understand that every step we take is the way. So the phrase I want to leave with you today is just every step is the way. We have this, again, this kind of like, I'm on the path, I'm on the path. I'm doing it right, I'm doing it wrong. I'm, I'm either in, I'm out. That's classic dualism. Yes, no, right, wrong. But really, it's much more about that every step you take, every moment of your life is, is teaching and leading and guiding you and, and something about yourself perhaps something inside you that needs to die so that something new can rise, something that is going to help you discover more about the divine spirit life that is inside you, that is growing in you, and that maybe that maybe the whole point is that, that every moment of your life is, is a walking of that out. I think we tend to think of like faith as this perfect, uh, you know, we, we start low and we end high and that's the end, but rather it's a coming and going. And then there's some days when we're deep in the weeds and we don't know what we're doing. And then there's other days where we're high on a mountain. It's, it's all of that. And all of that is important. It's not like one is to be preferred as, as now you're actually doing faith. And the other one is not like you're not doing faith when you are in the worst part. That is a part of faith that when you aren't struggling, that is a part of your journey and understanding yourself and the way of the divine and seeing the spirit life that Jesus puts before us. Every day is a working of that out. The analogy I like to use is it's, it's much more like the Wizard of Oz. There's that yellow brick road that they start on and it seems like they're full of hope and joy and and as they go, they as you go, you meet people who walk alongside you, have who have their own wounds and are trying to figure out their own stuff. But that that path didn't go around the forest where they got pelted with apples. 
That path didn't go around the jungle where they were scared out of their wits. It went through. So maybe when you're in those places where you feel empty and you feel lost, that that's just a part of the way for you. That is a part of your story. That is a part of you working out that spiritual life. When you are feeling spiritually empty, that is a part of the walk. And so maybe you're not off the path, but you're always on the path. You're always on the way. And that that journey is what's critical to, to growing who you are and what you're called to be. Let me be clear that I don't think that God gives us suffering and pain and struggle and hurt and stuff to teach us some sort of faith lesson. That's not what I'm offering here. What I'm saying is that we just go through hard times, and I don't think God gives those to us. I think that we're too good at messing up our own lives. We don't need help, and so we we just mess things up or we struggle or we give ourselves bad habits or put ourselves into unhealthy rhythms, and we get kind of stuck in that space. And I think it's important to recognize that when we do that, that's just a part of the walk. And that God doesn't abandon us, that the divine does not leave us, that the song does not become, you know, the song doesn't end there. But instead, it becomes, if we are willing to keep walking on that journey, if we're, if we're willing to keep going forward even when we don't know, if we're willing to know that at the end of the road, we're going to realize that it was with us all the time, we have to keep walking. We have to keep walking. And it's a part of the way is to struggle. I think what happens is sometimes people get into those weeds and and instead of walking through them and seeing what's on the other side, they sit down and say, see, I told you the Yellow Brick Road was a lousy place. Or maybe, you know, they just, after having a good spell, they just sort of felt like, well, I guess this is what it's supposed to be from now on. Oh, that's just not right. Instead, Every step is the way. Everything you've gone through is a part of your deep spiritual life teaching you about the way it is to walk with God. If we look at the story of Israel and the story in the Hebrew scriptures, it, it is a constant story of their struggles of wrestling with God and, and leaving God and coming back to God and, and, and rediscovering their, their life with God and and even when they think they're doing the will of God, having prophets who say you're messing it all up, you don't get it. I don't want, I don't want your worship and your offerings. I want righteousness and justice and holiness, as it says in Amos. I, there's just there's just a way in which I think that analogy of Israel is really like us. That we're always on this path of understanding who God is and who God is calling us to be. So when we abandon that idea of performative Christianity and we abandon Christianity as something that you're going to have perfect, but rather that it's this long process of becoming, I think you'll have a much better sense of peace. I know I do. I know that once I sort of let go of thinking that I've got to have it all figured out and that I'm messing things up and that God is angry with me because I'm not doing something right, rather than taking on the idea that I'm learning something in this moment about who I am and what I'm going to do, I think I think that's healthy. Let me just tell you this real quick story. So when I left my last church, uh, church that I, good place, good people, but it just wasn't a good fit for me, and I was really struggling. Uh, not again, not so much with faith in God, but just where was I called to be and who was I called to be? I was in a deep, deep identity crisis, as I've talked about in another story, and struggling with that. And I thought that I was leaving 
the church as a pastor. I thought I wasn't going to be a pastor anymore. And so in my tradition, in the Lutheran tradition, we have these things called stoles. They're these like long strips of fabric that you hang over your neck and over your robes if you're a community that uses robes. They're these long, beautiful strips of fabric. Now, I have been collecting these for years. I have a bunch of beautiful ones. I've got friends who've handmade ones specifically to me. I've bought ones that I thought that were beautiful embroidered ones. I've picked up ones from different countries. I've, you know, I sweat this beautiful little stole collection. And uh, what I did was I, um, I uh, gave them all away. I left the last church. I thought I was done. And so I took my little collection of stoles and I just sent them to friends around the country and said, here, if you can use these, great. So I thought I was done. I wasn't going to be a pastor of a church anymore. One of these that I sent to was my friend Lorne. Lorne is a pastor in Ohio, and uh, I knew Lorne when I was at Jacob's Porch. He was one of my Ohio State students who eventually went to seminary and, and, and is now a pastor. Um, I had made a stole for me and him both. He was in the military, and he had had an old uniform, and you know, to make a very long story short, I ended up with a piece of this uniform. And when he uh, became a pastor, I had a stole made that had pieces of his uniform in it. Um, that uh, it was like a Lenten stole that had like a pathway, and the pathway was all a part of his walk, a part of what he learned from the military and now as a pastor. And uh, I had his uniform there. I had one made for myself as a different different stole. It's this beautiful white stole, but it has the uh, his um, his uniform is uh, on a cross in there. So I, we both shared this. Um, so I sent the stole to him and said, you know, you could probably use this more than mine. And and then, as you know, I left and I came back to the U.S. I, I went to Germany, I came back, and I ended up back in the process, and I ended up back in a church. I don't remember if I reached out to all these friends saying, hey, I need my stoles back or anything like that. I don't think I did. But some of my friends sent the stoles back to me anyway. Now, Lorne, who has been working with me and knows me and has been walking this path with me for a while and knows this language, he sent me back the stole. And when I opened up the package, he reminded me of a very central truth. On top of the stole was a note that said, every step is the way. He was reminding me that all of this walk that I've been going through and all of this identity crisis and all this struggle was exactly the thing that I've been telling people forever. That this didn't mean I was right or wrong or in or out, but I had a path that I was walking and I was figuring out and refiguring out my identity as I was walking this path. And Lauren gave me a blessed reminder of everything I've been teaching to actually listen to what I've been teaching and, and to grow from it that my own little hmm, crisis was just a part of my story and it didn't mean I was right or wrong or in or out it just was now a part of me and my story of my walk and my faith in God and my trust in the way of the divine so that's what we mean when we say every step is the way to let go of performance and instead Spend every day rising and walking in such a way that you are experiencing the life and love of the divine. So my friends, 
May you, wherever you are in your conversation, wherever you are in this walk, know that it is just a part of a bigger story, that however you're feeling right now is just a part of the way. May you walk it in good courage. So that's it, the Good Courage Podcast. I'm Jay Gamlin. All ideas and heresies belong to me, so if you have any thoughts, declarations, diatribes, and the like, feel free to reach out to me at thehouseofgoodcourage at gmail.com. Our theme song is When You Go by the incomparable Matt Fagan. Please like, subscribe, share. It all helps a lot. Thanks for listening.